Well, this summer we've been in a worship series on the Acts of the Apostles, and we've made it almost halfway through the book now. We haven't looked at every single chapter and every single verse, but we've been looking at different snapshots throughout the Acts of the Apostles. And today we're looking at Acts chapter 16. We are moving along. So if you'd like to, you can open up your Bibles at home or find Bible Gateway on your mobile device while you're looking on your computer or your TV at home and follow along. Or you can just follow along on the screens right in front of you as well. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. Listen to God's word. They went through the region of Persia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course through Samothrace the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer, friends. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A few years ago when I was driving down to Mexico for the Youth Mexico mission trip, me and a few of the other adult advisors would go down a day earlier than all the students so we could set up camp and we could get ready for their arrival, because when 50 students show up, they're a little disheveled from being on the bus for 18 hours, and, and they need to have camp set up. So the adults go down a little bit earlier to get everything set up, to bring the equipment and the tools. And on this particular year, a couple years ago, I drove down uh, with Drew Schultz. He and I sat in the truck together while we were driving down that whole way. Now, it's a long drive from San Carlos all the way down to San Diego and doing it in one day. And Drew and I were stuck in this little truck together with all the dirty Mexico tools and all the things going on. And we had a variety of conversations, you know, and you're trying to figure out what to talk to somebody about for eight hours while you sit in a car with them. And so at some point I started to talk to Drew. I was like, oh, Drew's a, Drew's a technology guy. I can ask him what he does about technology or teach me something about computers because we live in Silicon Valley, right? And computers are so much of our life here. And they, 
It's so much of what happens. It's such a big part of our economy. Even if you're not into tech, in some way you're shaped or formed by it, by living here in Silicon Valley. It's just a part of the fabric of our life. So I was like, Drew, tell me about computers. Teach me about technology. Tell me about computer languages. And Drew started talking, I think maybe for, I don't know, five minutes, and it led to 30 minutes or an hour. It was a good prompt by me to ask him about computers. And he's telling me all this stuff about computer languages. And I think most of it just went whoo, way over my head. I don't remember much of what he said. He started talking about transistors and these things and these things. I don't know. I don't remember all of it. But what it did prompt me to think was there's something really important going on and information that he has and he knows that I should at least know a little bit more about than I picked up on on just that hour-long conversation while we're sitting in the truck about computers because it's just a part of our life. I mean, this is the way in which we are interacting right now. Like there is some sort of magic that's happening between this camera I'm looking at and you being at home, seeing a screen and seeing us having this connection right now. We're doing church through technology. This is amazing. This is incredible. So I thought, I need to learn more about this. I need to learn more about computers after I talk to Drew. So when I got home from Mexico, when I had some free time at some point, I started looking around online on YouTube, and I found out that Harvard University published their entire introduction to computer science on YouTube for free. You can watch the whole opening semester of Introduction to Computer Science by Harvard. So I thought, I might as well watch a few videos so I can try to learn a few more things about it. And while I was watching it, yes, he talked about transistors, he talked about binary, he talked about different computer languages, but the professor at Harvard drew this picture that I'm gonna try to draw for you right now, and I thought, this picture is fascinating. Now, friends, I am not much of an artist, okay? So you'll have to hang with me while I do this, but he drew this picture. Can you see it? I'm not much of an artist, but I can draw arrows and I can draw a square, mostly. There's some overlap on that corner right there. But when you look at this picture, the professor from Harvard said, at its most rudimentary phrase, this is what computer science is all about. At the end of the day, what you have is inputs and it commands and it does things and it creates certain kinds of outputs. So underneath all the beauty and the magic that we see, there is some mechanical processes happening, and there are these transistors that are taking codes and signals to be on or off at different variations, and then it's telling this stuff to do things after you give it a bunch of inputs, and it creates certain kind of outputs. And I saw him talking about this for, he just kind of rushed past this image, but I saw this image and I thought, this is a fascinating image of computer science. And I think this is perhaps one of the most seductive pictures I've ever seen in my life too. This is one of the most seductive pictures I've ever seen in my life. Because I think in times of uncertainty and in times of worry, in times of concern, in times of anxiety, we long to have this kind of a, a recipe in our life, don't we? We long to have a recipe in our life where if we know that we can do certain kinds of inputs and it does things and we get certain kinds of outcomes, it feels so good. We get these short-term rewards from being able to create certain kinds of outputs. It's like doing easy math. One plus one equals two. This is the most seductive picture I've ever seen in my life, I think, especially for times of uncertainty in times like this. 
when we look at this picture and we think about input and we think about output, I think of life right now, and I bet this is one of those ways in which we all can experience right now in times of heightened anxiety and stress and concern and worry that we long for this kind of a way of life. You know, this is why I think a lot of young people right now are playing video games at incredible rates because things feel so uncertain, things feel so worrisome. It's sounding now like school's not gonna be in person throughout the end of the year in our area. And I just know that with all that uncertainty, I also heard that sports are not gonna probably happen for high school students this fall. There's so much concern and worry about what the next six months of my life looks like. We long to have this kind of a pattern or this kind of a recipe theology, a computer theology essentially for life, that if I do these things, this stuff happens and I get a certain kind of outcome or I get a certain kind of output. And I think this is a seductive picture too because so much of our life is lived in technology that we are being framed by this reality on a daily basis. Every time we touch a mobile device, every time we touch a computer, every time we get into a car now with all the screens that pop up, all of this is framing in us this way of life, this way of being, I think, to have inputs that create certain kinds of outcomes. And it's a very seductive picture. And I think it has also infiltrated our way of thinking about theology and relationship with God at times. Absolutely, no doubt. This, there's a sometimes, um, you know, when we think about a picture like this, I wonder if we think sometimes just in Christianity, if I just have the right things to say, to say to somebody, shouldn't that lead to certain kinds of outcomes in that person? Right? Like, if I just have the entire Bible memorized, if I have the right words to say, shouldn't that mean that then somebody receives that information and becomes a Christian? This way of thinking, recipe theology, computer theology, infiltrates the ways in which we think about our relationship with God and especially how we might share that communication with other people. This is a seductive picture. When we look... In Acts chapter 16, I think we see a slightly different picture, and it's a beautiful picture. It's a fascinating one. Did you notice all the travel narratives? I read probably five or six verses with a bunch of cities' names that I'm probably sure I said something wrong in there, so sorry about that if I mispronounced something. There's a lot of hard words in there. But you could have this sense that it wasn't so much what they were doing. It's like the Spirit told them to go here. The Spirit told them not to go there. Then Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia. So they decided to go to Macedonia, and they had to go the straight path through a certain area, and they ended up in the Roman colony of Philippi. And even though they had a vision of going to Macedonia and seeing a man, there was Paul, Silas, and Luke probably too. I don't know if you noticed that in the Scripture, but it shifted from third person to first person plural. Luke starts to say, we So he maybe is even there too. And lo and behold, who they find there in Macedonia and Philippi is not a man, but a bunch of women praying out by the river. They're trying to get to a place of prayer, to the synagogue, and there's a bunch of people praying out by the river. And Paul begins to share with them the gospel. And there's this beautiful moment in Acts chapter 16. Did you hear it? Acts chapter 16 says... And the Lord opened Lydia's heart to hear what Paul was saying. 
the Lord opened Lydia's heart to hear what Paul was saying. I think this is such a beautiful phrase and it's such a meaningful phrase. Last week you heard from Pastor Mary in Acts chapter 15 where they had the council at Jerusalem and together the brothers and sisters, they decided that uh, the Gentiles could become Christians without having to become Jewish first. And as a result of that decision, now we get to see Paul's missionary journey go way beyond the scope of just the ancient Near East. And they're traveling everywhere. And this is the first such conversion experience. And I'm so thankful for this story because I think in the back of our minds, right, we might have this, this story of the first conversion experiences after the Council of Jerusalem being something that it says, Paul, having all the right answers and all the right input, created the certain right kind of output for converting people to Christianity. But that's not what we hear at all. That's not what we hear. What we hear is that it's the Lord who opens hearts. It's the Lord who opens Lydia's heart. And it does not discredit or discount what it was that Paul said. What Paul said is so important. It's simply that we need not focus on the outcomes as it pertains to sharing about Christianity in our life and sharing about what it is that God is doing in our life. I think this is so important for us. It matters for talking about faith and talking about what God is doing in our life, talking about where we are in our Christianity right now in this world and all the things that we've been talking about in this church too is that it's the Lord who opens up hearts. Sometimes we can get so bogged down thinking that if I have the right answers or the right things or I say the right things, I might get to the right outcomes for other people. But that's not the case. The case is the Lord opens hearts. What we do, what we say matters, just like Paul and Silas being there and showing up, making it there. Paul was still telling the stories. He was still sharing the good news, but he wasn't so focused on the outcomes in and of itself because he had this deep-rooted trust that it was the Lord who opened up hearts. And that's what we see in Lydia. Her heart's opened up. She receives the good news. She's baptized. And then as we see all throughout the Acts of the Apostles, one of the ways in which faithfulness is manifested is by the sharing of their possessions with other people. Lydia shares her home. She shares what she has. She's a single woman. She's not married, but she has a home. She has a job. She has, she's a dealer of purple cloth. She was probably a woman of well means. And she decides to share this with these travelers and shares this with other people. And that is one of those markers of faithfulness in Acts of the Apostles. Persons who are found faithful in terms of their relationship with God are willing to share their possessions as a reflection of what it was that God was doing in their life. And this is exactly what happens to Lydia. Her heart is opened up. Her heart is opened up. What I think this means for us, brothers and sisters, is is I hope you hear freedom in Acts chapter 16. I hope you hear freedom because though there's a sense of like this picture being very seductive and thinking about getting certain kinds of outcomes in our life, like, right, I know that feels really good to have a certain kind of plan or regimen. I'm a very strategic-minded person, so I like getting to certain kinds of outcomes. <laughs> That's a thing I love. And in the midst of this seduction, I think there's a way that this can form our faith experience. 
but at times that can hold us back and it can kind of hold us down. And in this sense of Acts 16, I think there's so much freedom. Like, be who you are. Be who you know God is in your relationship with you and where God is leading you right now, just like the way God was leading Paul and Silas and Luke. And don't worry so much about the outcomes or the outputs. I know so often we worry about friends or family members and we long for them to know the kind of love that we have in our life, the love we experience, the the worshiping life that we experience. But just to worry a little bit less about this and to just be honest and authentic about the input that we have in our life, the input that we share with other people, just stay in that space and experience a sense of freedom. If this goes well or this doesn't go well, that's okay. You've done what you could do. You've done what you could do, and you should feel a sense of freedom to let go a little bit of this space, of the output and the outcome. So who you are and what you do matters as you share your faith with other people. Absolutely, that's a critical piece of it. I also wonder in this moment of incredible anxiety and incredible stress too, is that this is the time to lean even further into trust in relationship with God, and not so much on our own devices that we can get to certain kinds of outcomes. I've talked with friends all around the country, and uh, I tried to keep up with friends from around the country from seminary, and oftentimes the very first thing friends say to me is they say, how are you doing? How is your church doing? Are you able to keep things moving along? Are you able to keep people involved and invested in the life of the church? I've had at least four or five friends ask me this question, like, have you been able to keep momentum going? And when they ask me this question, I think, wow, there's a lot of anxiety with church leaders right now across the country that because we can't meet in person, we're super nervous and anxious about the future of what the church looks like. We're worried that somehow momentum's going to slow down, momentum's going to stop, and maybe our churches are going to be smaller. Everybody's worried about this all around the country right now. Everybody's really worried about this. And as I look at Acts 16, I keep thinking, Paul preached, but it wasn't Paul who got Lydia to become a convert. It was God. God did this. The Lord opened up her heart. The Lord opened up her heart. So as we experience anxiety in this moment, anxiety about our church and the future of our congregation, I know there's going to be ways in which we want to do things. We want to have certain kinds of inputs. But friends, the outcome is going to be a result of what it is that the Lord does. And the Lord is at work. The Lord was at work in Acts 16, and the Lord is at work right now opening up hearts. Isn't this beautiful? I I think lastly, we should remember too when we look at this picture, is that, uh, yeah, underneath computers is a bunch of transistors, and they go on and off. And then we can use certain kind of language to tell them to do different things and Now it can tell itself to do different things, which is amazing with AI. But at the end of the day, these are transistors. We're humans. We are complex people made in the image of God. And we have hearts. Heart is one of the most used words in all of the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you did a Google search, or not a Google search, but just look on Bible Gateway and type in the word heart, you'll see that heart appears everywhere. Like humans are not automatons. We have hearts. We have souls. We're made in the image of God. And it's the Lord who opens up our hearts to relationship, to everything that God wants from us. Life, love, and liberation 
in relationship with the Lord. The Lord opens up hearts, friends. All this week, I've been trying to think about a way to communicate this in a story or an example about how the Lord opens up hearts. And it just so happened that as I was driving here this morning, I had an idea and an example that popped into my brain. So this isn't fully formed, but I want to try to share it with you anyways. I was thinking about how I was going to talk about the Youth Mexico mission trip. And then I started to think about these eighth graders in the church. There's about 10 of them that have been really involved. And they're going to become freshmen next year. And we've all been waiting for the day that they could all go to Mexico together. Um, you know, and Drew and I and a lot of other people are going to have conversations this fall. We don't know what that looks like yet. But I was thinking about those kids. And then I thought about one night at the middle school fun night a few months ago with these middle school students. Uh, Carol Dudick Nicholas was there with us. And Carol is one of the deacons at our church right now. And Carol brought with her a hoard of all this stuff from Annie's. She used to work at Annie's. Uh, you know that really awesome food place that makes the good organic stuff? And she brought all these fruit gummies that are supposed to be good for you because they're organic. And the kids were eating them all up and having a lot of fun. And I saw Carol in my vision this morning while I was driving here, and I thought, she is an example of how the Lord opens up hearts. A few years ago, she came to Trinity with her husband, John, and her husband, John, loved the Lord so much, and he, uh, he had terminal cancer, and he came to this church, and it was such, it was like the weirdest reason why. I don't even know how he ended up here. He had a friend of a friend of a friend that said, oh, maybe you should go to Trinity. He hadn't been to church in years. He had a hard experience in his relationship with church over the past few years. So John and Carol came to church here, and I remembered sitting down with both of them. And Carol hadn't been to church much also recently, but they started coming to church, and it was so crystal clear that they're showing up into this space, that they're getting involved in the life of this ministry had very little to do with me or Pastor Mary or anyone else but it had everything to do with the Lord opening up their hearts to be part of this community. And now I see in Carol an example of a person who had her heart opened to what God was doing, and now she's living it out faithfully in the midst of the life of this community. She's serving, she's a deacon, she shares her possessions, all of her free Annie stuff with the middle schoolers. Um, she shares her life with people. She is today's example of Lydia. And I know there's so many examples of Lydia in this congregation, and it really just helps me trust all the more in this moment, friends. And I hope it helps you trust all the more in this moment as you think about all the friends you see on Facebook Live right now, all the people that are there, those people, a lot of people who had the Lord open up their heart. What we do matters. It's important, yes. How we share is important. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything we do say leads to certain outcomes. It's the Lord who opens up hearts. I hope you remember that in this moment in the midst of the pandemic right now. As the church is taking shape in Acts, the church is also taking shape in a new way right now in the midst of our life in the pandemic. And it's the Lord who will open up hearts, my friends. God's been doing this for a long time. God's doing it right now. God will continue to do it 
in the midst of these next few months, even in the midst of all the uncertainty we face, we have a God we can trust. We have a God we can lean into. The Lord opens hearts. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, I give you thanks for this day. God, I give you thanks for the witness of Holy Scripture that we have an anchor in that text. In the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of strange seasons of life, we have these words and these texts that point us back to you, knowing that you are at work in our life, you are present, you open up hearts, you've opened up our hearts, God, for you. And so, even though the form and the ways in which life has looked like for church recently is so radically different right now, we know that you're still at work, Lord. So will you help form in us and give us a vision of what church is, what faithful following of you looks like in this moment? May we look at one another for examples and stories of that. We know that you have been doing this for such a long time, God, and you'll continue to do it. So we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to open us up to you that you would lead us much the way that you led Paul and Silas and Luke from one place to another place to another place, and then you put them in the right place at the right time, that Lydia's heart might be opened up to hear what Paul had to say. So, Lord, continue to lead us in this time. This is our prayer in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.